Special. Uh, well, I am uh, actually not going to preach the sermon that's listed on your bulletin. The, 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 uh, the, the primary order of the day is ordination and installation of elders and deacons. And so we have the towels here as part of that ceremony for those that are outgoing. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. That's... Um, almost become our routine that uh, this last Sunday of the year, we're ordaining and installing officers that are coming um, into service at the beginning of the year, which is next week, which is absolutely shocking that it's 2020. Uh, that's disturbing in so many ways, but here it is. Um, but anyway, so I, I want to um, actually uh, open the scriptures a little bit and, and speak to the topic of elders and deacons, especially in light of some of what I just prayed uh, during our pastoral prayer, a concern for the church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to Acts 6. I may also make it to 1 Peter 5. I'm not really sure where this is going, actually. But I do think it's uh, once a year is not too often uh, to uh, teach about, preach about who the leaders are of the church for people to understand that, to have their attention drawn to it some. Um, once a year is not too often. And so I have uh, in the past on this occasion said a little bit about that subject. But in Acts chapter 6, the, uh, the apostles are actually just coming from having been flogged, if you will. I mean, they, they, they've been called in by the Jewish leaders a couple of times about preaching in the name of Jesus. They were told, don't do that anymore. And they did anyway. They called him in a second time and said, hey, we told you not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they say, well, you decide for yourselves whether to obey men or God. We're going to obey God. And there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved besides the name of Jesus. We're going to preach in that name. They actually got beaten. They go back rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer in his name. And then they, they, they enter into this situation where there's some conflict that has emerged partly out of just organizational challenges. The church is expanding so fast, they're having to figure out how to adapt to that and uh, still care for people rightly. But this is where we see uh, some of how leadership and service in the early church emerged. In Acts 6, beginning of verse 1, it says, Now in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves, or pick out from among you seven men of good repute, 
full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid, laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Would you pray with me as we unpack this? Lord, you have something to say to us every time that we open the scriptures. It is living and true. And we just trust when we open it and expect when we open it to find life and truth in it. So God, whatever it is we need to hear today, however we need to be challenged, moved, enlightened, would you do so by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. So the issue as you gather here is there are some of the Hellenist widows not being served adequately and this is a problem. I, I, I think I pointed out when we went through Acts together a year and a half or so ago, whenever that was, we would have come up on this passage that uh, you can imagine, I can imagine coming back from having just gotten beaten for preaching the name of Jesus I've laid it out there on the line and I come back and hear somebody's not being fed as much as the other people. I can imagine not being real sensitive to that need and saying, you know, I can't believe. Do you see the stripes on my back? You see my clothes a little bit tattered here? I can't believe you're making a big deal out of who's getting more chicken wings than somebody else at the covered dish. You know, tell me about a real problem. Tell me about a real problem. I don't want to hear about it. But they, they didn't do that, anything like that, right? And, and again, I think we can agree that comparatively speaking, this didn't seem like a, a great big deal. But it was a big deal. It was a big deal that people weren't being loved and cared for adequately. That there was even a sense that there was inequitable treatment, that they favored one and not others. And so they said, that they, in other words, even the unspoken message is, yes, this is a problem and, and it needs a solution, but this can't become our problem to solve. Like we can't be the ones to now manage this issue of being sure who's being served equally and adequately. And so, choose from your, uh, among yourselves seven men full of the spirit and wisdom and we'll appoint them to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so, what we see emerging then out of this, the way that, we, that the church historically understands this, uh, these seven that were appointed to this task are not called deacons but they're pretty universally regarded as sort of the proto-deacons. 
In other words, that there's, a, there's a recognition that there's a specific service need in the church. And so there are people appointed to the task of serving. They're not called deacons here. It says that they are appointed to serve. And so that's uh, where we make the connection. The apostles say, uh, we can't sort of be distracted by this, by, by serving tables. We must devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so we see, in other words, um, a, a categorization of what ministry needs there are, broadly speaking, in the church and how offices begin to emerge in order to meet those needs. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. Because this would be one of those days you might not because this is all unrehearsed. Um, so if you're not tracking with me, you, you just do like that and I'll see if I can reverse course. But we have, we have two offices emerging. The, the, other, the other dots that we connect, would connect here, it's the apostles who say, we will devote ourselves to, the, to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, one of the huge questions in uh, really all of Christianity is, when the apostles died, when those apostles died, who became the leaders of the church, who took up the mantle of authority and responsibility, the duties that they had in the church. Well, you, you have different churches organized in different ways because the Bible doesn't say explicitly, it doesn't speak prescriptively to how that was to take place. As Presbyterians, the way we understand the scriptures to unfold that is that uh, the responsibility, the duty, uh, the authority of apostles was passed on to elders. That in every church, there's a plurality of elders. Some churches um, came in centuries to follow to um, basically assign greater authority to a bishop in a particular city. So you have different Episcopal forms of government. I'm not going to go into all that today, but it's just to say... Um, there's, the, the Bible doesn't really speak to that because what you see as the scriptures being written, it's the first generation of Christians still living. You have the apostles still living and writing the scriptures. So we don't have in the scriptures exactly how that unfolds. Our understanding of the Bible is Presbyterian. The reason we call ourselves Presbyterians is that word comes from the Greek word that means elder. And we didn't make that up. There are places in, in the New Testament that clearly show there are elders appointed in, in all of the churches um, and that sort of thing. So elders have the responsibility of the ministry of the word and prayer. Uh, deacons have the responsibility of service. Because as a church continues to look outside of its walls, to see its mission out there, that there's always a need for the word to be proclaimed out there. If that ministry is fruitful, there will always be people in here, right? Always new people coming in here. And there are ways that the, the flock needs to be shepherded. 
And so the responsibility um, of elders is to oversee the flock and to shepherd the flock. The responsibility of deacons is to serve. I want to flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5. I can't remember if I said that one out loud before. Again, there are, there are multiple places in the New Testament where uh, discussion about elders and deacons, uh, bishops, shepherds, the words are used kind of inter- interchangeably. Uh, there are multiple places where mentions of them is sort of peppered, and so you, we, we kind of put it together to make sense of. But somehow this, th- there's a message in here that's weighing on me this morning and the reason I, part of the reason I wanted to go here. Uh, one of the reasons I want to go here is because there are always new people coming and going. And if you're new to a Presbyterian church, you don't even know why, what makes Presbyterians Presbyterian and who cares, you know, and, and that kind of, there's even fewer people who care probably than there are who don't know. But anyway, um, you know, what, what, there are always people wondering about that and, and, um, that's important to know, partly because we make a little ceremony out of setting apart people for this office because it is not trivial what they're called to do. And this is really probably the main point I want to make, um, that this is serious and weighty, that it is a high calling, and we don't need to think of it as less than what it is, and we don't need to think of ourselves as more than what we are. First Peter 5, beginning in verse 1, says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'm going to stop right there, but if you were to look ahead, you would see uh, one of the a couple of verses that I included in my prayer that, we're, that are familiar to us. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It comes right on the heels of this charge to elders to shepherd the flock of God as servants, not as domineering, and all of you be humble. This, this by itself deserves to be, this is a great sermon. It's probably more than one sermon. But it would be a real timely one for the church all over the Western world probably to meditate on. A charge to elders here, I would, I would appoint, uh, point out again, Peter, the apostle, 
refers to himself or them as, well, he refers to himself as a fellow elder. In other words, he is an apostle, but he's also an elder. It's, that's part of how we connect those dots in terms of the, the role of elders. But the charge is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compassion, but willingly as God would have you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Um, I find this to be um, a really important and clarifying charge in today's world where the internet has made us so connected with, with everybody else. It's, it's easy to interact with the church universal a little bit more. So we, 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 we have interaction with Christians um, all over the place, you know, different churches locally, different places around the globe and so forth. But see, my charge as a pastor is not to shepherd the whole internet. Okay? Uh, my charge as a pastor and, and the charge of every elder in this church is to shepherd the flock of God which is among you. And, and one, of the, one of the real temptations for church leaders today is because there's an opportunity to shepherd everybody in the internet. People want to, want to take on the challenge. People want platform and spotlight and acclaim and celebrity. It's, it's to one degree or another in all of us to be proud and prideful. But there's, there's just opportunity to do that. And it, and it, and it comes at great price We've seen, I mean, a number of megachurch leaders just in the last 18 months, probably. Um, I could name two major, big-time, well-known uh, pastors who have been fired for uh, essentially abuse that's resulted from, not sexual abuse, just mistreating people because their whole ministry and leadership became fueled by their own pride. And, and, and churches that I don't, don't know if they'll recover because, the, because they're so big, the, the operation and the, and, the, and the financial obligations of the church are so big. When that kind of thing happens and people leave, it's hard to recover from. I just read this week about... Um, one similarly in the, in the Church of England. Just uh, it, it, inexplicable stupidity uh, on the part of a church leader. But, but it had to do with um, being organized around pride and capacity, you know, and, and, and uh, uh, the kind of leadership gifting that you might expect for the military or for a corporation, which can be well employed in the church setting. But it can be poorly employed in the church setting too. It can be misused and abused in a church setting when, when, when people who are supposed to be shepherding the flock of God become domineering. And of course, we, we, we don't even have to mention 
the ongoing scandal of sexual abuse. And it most prevalently in the Catholic Church, um, and that's been the most newsworthy, but it's not at all exclusive to the Catholic Church. It's everywhere. And it is unthinkable, isn't it? I mean, it's, we know what happens when that hits close to home. But it is, it is so antithetical to what church leaders are called to do. I mean, it just makes your stomach turn, doesn't it? But see, all of us, like sheep have gone astray, our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's true of elders and deacons. It's true of pastors as much as it is anybody else. And so take heed. Or sorry, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Because all of us can go there. Now, I'm just going to tie a loose bow around that. Um, and I, I don't know if and when I'll ever come back to this, maybe next year, this time. But it, again, there's something that's always pertinent about explaining who it is that leads our church. That, that's, that's helpful in regards to this ceremony anyway. But it just seems and feels especially timely to me that church leaders everywhere be a little bit frightened by the charge that's given them, by a sense of their own depravity, and for little stories we read about in the news of the wreckage that can be caused if we do not take heed to ourselves and to the flock. It's easy for, however a church is organized, we have uh, ruling elders, we call it the session. In, in uh, Baptist churches, they don't have elders. They have deacons who essentially function like elders. Um, some churches, newer churches, have just boards. Of it. it's, it's easy, no matter what it's called, no matter how they arrive there, it's, it's easy for, for those oversight bodies, for those people who are supposed to be shepherding and ministering the flock to become essentially a board and for pastors to become essentially CEOs. And, and they are, neither one of them is meant to be that. There are responsibilities um, that, uh, that make them similar in both ways. There are certain leadership responsibilities that call one to be an executive leader or a governing board, if you will. But that is not that is not what we are. And, and, and that just seems to me today, for whatever reason, God do with it what he will. Uh, but this, this just seemed to me to be a timely charge for us as we get ready to honor those who have served and ordain installed and install those who are coming to serve. That we would, from the, from the very outset, be humbled by the task 
and keep ourselves on our knees, on our face before God. Knowing that I don't need help from anybody else to go astray. And in the process, to do a whole lot of damage in the lives of other people. Well, thanks be to God for his word and Lord do with that what you will. Um, we're going to do two things here as part of this uh, ceremony. We, as you, if you've been here for some time, you know that um, we, we have this towel ceremony whereby we uh, honor those who are rotating off um, session or the diaconate. And the scripture says that those specifically says of uh, elders they're worthy of double honor it is a it, it is an honorable task it is often a thankless task um, to oversee and to, sh to shepherd to serve in the company of God's people but for those who play to an audience of one um then they're always at peace with the way they've served. I'm going to invite um, up to the front deacons and elders that are rotating off. So the deacons rotating off are Nick Chambers, Steve Madison, and Freddie Sutherland. That's what I have. If there are others, you come forward and I'll say your name as if we planned it that way. And then... Um, Elders rotating off, Bob Houston, Jimmy Richardson, Jeff Rose, and Phil Stump. Yeah, Phil, if you'll come around here, we'll... I don't know the whole story behind this. I understand this, this towel ceremony began among the deacons, um, even outside of the service, and uh, was such a good thing. The elders copied it. Uh, and uh, and that's, that happens often, uh, actually. But, um, but we just made this um, part of our ceremony for how we honor and bless those going out. The towel is a symbol of service. Um, and again, especially appropriate to the office of deacon. Um, and it, in some respects, uh, reminds us of Jesus himself washing the feet of his disciples with a small towel. That that kind of service being taken up uh, by the apostles and then uh, by deacons. Interestingly enough, one of the deacons we just read about, the first one named is Stephen. The rest of chapter 6 and 7 of, of Acts talk about the ministry of Stephen because he did not only service in the church, but he did a good bit of preaching and evangelism. He was the first martyr in the church because of his completely sold-out faith in Jesus. December 26th, in many church traditions around the world, 
is called the Feast of St. Stephen. Um, and it's Boxing Day in the UK. But it was customary in many of those places to do good deeds, uh, to give gifts to the working class people and that kind of thing. It's been, it's been practiced in different ways. In other words, he's honored. And part of the way that the church honors his memory and service is by serving other people on that day. Again, that's really not part of our uh, tradition so much, but um, still ongoing in the life of the church. But the towel is that kind of symbol. And so uh, I'm just going to bless each one of these with this symbol and gift. Thank you, men, for your service. And I tell you, I, I can look each one of these men in the eyes and know, and to our elders, bless you, men. Thank you. Thank you. I, I know personally, I could, I could tell you in specific ways um, how each one of these men have served tirelessly in, in many times in unseen ways that, that nobody knows about and glad to do that. Perfectly glad. In fact, even prefer to do it that way many times. And so we're grateful for them. We thank them for their service. And I just want to offer just a prayer of blessing for them um, as they rotate off. Lord, I do thank you for uh, these beloved uh, co-laborers in the gospel, that they love you, that they love your church, that they love this church, that they know, Lord, how to love one another when we're unlovable, because we all are at times. I thank you, Lord, that they've been faithful to do that. Father, I pray that in, the, in this season, um, as they rotate out of this role, some of them will probably take on others, even informally, because that's just how they are wired and gifted to do. Um, God, I pray, though, that they would find a season of rest, that they'd be energized for what you have in store for them next um, but Lord, I pray that all that they have poured into the lives of other people would abound more and more, not only in those lives, but it would be poured over into others. That the seeds planted would be fruitful 30, 60, and 100 fold. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you join me in thanking these men for their service? And now at this time, we'll, we'll move into um, the ordination and installation of new officers. And so the, the distinction there, if that's unfamiliar language to you, um, those who have not served previously in either office are ordained to that office. Um, hands laid on them, they're set apart for that task. Again, we, we, we read that in Acts 6, if you pe picked up on it. You, uh, you set them apart, you identify seven among you, will appoint them to the task, and they laid hands on them and did that. That becomes part of the practice from the very beginning of the church. 
we ordain people to the office just acknowledging the gifting in them, the calling upon them, and setting them apart for that purpose. And then those who have served, have been ordained previously and returning to service, um, either as a deacon or elder, are installed into that office, okay? So that's uh, what will transpire now, but I'm going to um, actually call uh, all of them forward and we'll, we'll sort of do the ordination and installation right on the heels of each other. And so deacons being ordained today are Deb Johnson and Marsha Livingston. Um, Buck Hubbard has also been uh, elected as a new deacon um, subject to ordination, but is, is away today, and so we'll have to do that at another time. But Deb and Marsha, if you'll come forward. Um, deacons being installed uh, are David Bartlett and just David Bartlett. And some of these individuals also may not be here uh, today. We don't have any new ordinands for um, the office of elder, but we do have some being installed, and so elders returning to office and being installed as on session are Michael Escalante, Ralph Jensen, and Ernie Langston. So I'm going to I'm going to go through um, the ordination vows, asking questions to Deb and Marsha. Uh, these are yes or no questions. The correct answer is yes. Um, but the honest answer is whatever the honest answer is, and so uh, so we're making that statement of affirmation again that um, like elders who are to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. Deacons are set apart to serve the flock of God that is among them, not just any old flock. And part of what we want to know is, um, is your heart knit to this flock? Are your convictions knit to this flock? And so forth. Uh, we'll do those vows and the installation vows. Then a question, uh, a Q&A to the congregation about your commitment to them and then we'll have a prayer following this. So to Deb and Marsha, do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, do you? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and only infallible rule of faith and practice, do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the Westminster Confession of Faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? Do you? Do you promise that if at any time you find yourselves out of accord with the system of doctrine as taught in the Scriptures and as contained in the Westminster Confession of Faith and catechisms of this church, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your presbytery the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow, do you? Do you affirm and adopt the essentials of our faith without exception? Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church? 
Do you promise subjection to your fellow presbyters in the Lord? Have you been induced as far as you know in your own heart to seek the office of the holy ministry from love to God and a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? And finally, do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account? Do you? So I don't doubt for one second that those affirmative answers are true. Um, and I'll say, one of the ways you know who make good deacon candidates, good servants, are looking around to see who's already serving, whether you ask them to or not. Uh, and these two women do that energetically and enthusiastically and quite well, might I mention, and so we're grateful for them. I'm going to ask now questions for all, both the ordinands and all of the candidates for installation, two questions um, about your installation to office. And again, uh, answer affirmatively um, if that is indeed your answer. Number one, will you seek to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and as a ruling elder or deacon, whether personal or interpersonal, private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before the congregation of which God is making you an overseer or a servant, will you? And are you now willing to accept the call of this church as a ruling elder or deacon and relying upon God for strength, promise to discharge it, discharge to it the duties required of that office? And now questions to the congregation. Are you, the members of this congregation, ready to receive these individuals as your ruling elders or deacons? Do you promise to submit to the elders in matters of spiritual discipline and to receive with humility and love the word of truth? Do you promise to support each of them with your prayers, to give encouragement and assistance in every way as they seek to instruct you in the things of the Lord and to lead you in the building of the kingdom of God in this place to you? Do you commit yourselves to fulfill the terms of the call you've extended and to make provision for their needs that the name of Christ might be glorified? And now I'm going to invite, if, uh, if all of you would um, sort of step forward a little bit and maybe we'll, we'll kind of move around to this side if that's okay because I'm also going to ask elders and deacons who are off session, on or off session or diaconate, all of our uh, ordained elders and deacons who are able and willing to come forward to pray for them if you come forward at this time. And um, we typically will have uh, ordinands kneel for the prayer of ordination. Jerry has brought some pillows for kneeling. You're welcome to uh, kneel on both knees, one knee. You can use the steps if you prefer, or just bend over however you can. Uh, get as close 
as close as you're able. And so if, um, if those, if Deb and Marsha, if you'll go ahead and kneel for this prayer, elders and deacons around them, if you'll lay hands on them. And would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the church. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to your church, for your resolve to make for yourself a spotless and blameless bride ready to be received by the bridegroom on the last day. God, we thank you for everyone that makes up a part of it, but especially today for those who oversee and serve. So, Father, we thank you in a special way for Deb and Marsha, for their willingness to answer this call to an office of service. So, Lord, we just bless them in the name of Jesus. We acknowledge, Lord, your gifting we acknowledge their heart to serve your people. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge that where they have done so, there is fruit, that there is joy and blessing imparted to other people. Lord, we pray that you would so fill them with your spirit that that fruitfulness would abound more and more in the lives of people in our congregation. And Father, all of these returning to office, those being installed as elders. Father, we thank you for their service as well. God, I pray um, that you would strike in their hearts the high calling that it is they're responding to. The, the great privilege, the great joy that it is and the great responsibility. And Father, would you humble them at the realization of that. Renew in them a deep love for the people of this church, for one another. Would you, would you make them contributors to the unity of our session? and of our congregation. Father, would you remove far from them and all of our elders any source of strife or discord that as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God, that we, as the church and as leaders of a church, may be one people who reflect you honorably. Lord, would you use all of these men and women for your good purposes, for your glory, for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, by the authority of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and the Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic, I declare that Deb Johnson and Marsha Livingston
have been ordained to the office of deacon and that all of these individuals have been duly and properly installed as officers of this congregation in accordance with the word of God and the laws of this church. As such, they are entitled to be given support, encouragement, and honor in the Lord in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And would you join me in rejoicing uh, for their faithfulness. should have just said some of the elders could probably just hang out down front here and pray for people at the end of the service because we're going to conclude momentarily and we will be available for that uh, purpose if there are any needs that you have um, things that we can pray about for you for loved ones or in any other way minister to you will be available at the conclusion of the service uh, for that purpose and now I'll ask you to stand and receive today's benediction. Remain standing for the singing of the doxology, trusting that by the time we get to that, the worship team will be ready to lead you in it. I think I hear them sneaking up behind me. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.